Welcome to Path to Story, a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast, where we focus on the lore, rules, and storytelling of narrative play. Thank you for joining us once again as we pitch our tents, set up camp, and share our tales from along the Path to Story. Your companions around the campfire this episode are... Hey, my name is Paul, but today I am Vokmerdis, the Eternal Multitude, Mad Harbinger of the Endless Lake. The Eternal Multitude, Mad Harbinger of the Endless Lake. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, An endless lake. There's a lot of endless because it's eternal. It's a multitude. Right. The lake is endless. He's a harbinger of it. It, it, um, it which of course different it, things now because of uh, the... As I say, he has lore. narrative rules in Dawnbringers 1. Um, right, right. You guys picked like, it. I'm a fire slayer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I feel a like very fancy title for the a endless song. lake of fire, <laughs> carrying the multitude of souls from his uh, fallen yarl. Or his, his fallen yarl. I can't pick between Scourge Privateer and OCR Bone Reaper, so mm. I'm gonna say it's both. It is an OCR pirate who mm. is sailing the seas collecting the bones of those who think the waters will save them. See, I was getting a lot of a lot of zinch. Oh. It just it seemed like you know, multitude of fires, endless lake. Um, I'm, yeah, yeah, I see it. Lot. I'm liking this idea that it is a Osiarch made from scourge privateers, but I want it to oh. be made by a soul mason. Who instead of stripping away the piratiness, is like only pulling together the piratiness from yeah. every city that he's harvesting to like make this like dread pirate Roberts, this undead mm-hmm. dread pirate Roberts is going around and like creating this he, name for himself. Collects the souls of like the best, yeah, the best pirates, yeah, the cruelest exactly takers. And like Blackbeard, the black pirate Roberts. Uh, <laughs> Steed Bonnet. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's oh, I? I just listened to a history podcast on the the female Jack Sparrow ch- Chinese pirate <laughs> who's to be the p- best pirate of all time. Oh, it's really good. Is it the Queen of Pirates? Yes, the Queen of Pirates. Yeah, she was so nice. good. The Chinese government paid her to stop being a pirate, and she lived known for the government where she lived, like retired with everything. And just wow. like died at home in her sleep, like she was such a good yep. pirate. The government was afraid to cross her, even after she gave up her entire navy. They were yeah. like, "What if we just pay for you to go into retirement?" Yes, yeah. that's legitimately exactly what it was. And when she went in, it was talking about how the first time she went in to talk to the government about potentially surrendering, because she had monopolized the salt trade, yep. so oh. like, they couldn't actually do anything. Because she controlled the flow of salt. And mm-hmm. she started charging taxes to all the other ships from all the other countries. Um, the first time she went in, she was like surrounded by like mothers and children. And the second time she went in, she's just like, I'm just going in by myself. If you mess with me, there's a whole navy that's going to come and take you down. So I'm just going to walk in unarmed and wow. demand that you pay me money. And turned out it worked. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, she showed up in uh, Our Flag Means Death, which is a great oh, nice. show for pirates. I love Very it. Cool. A- about pirates or for pirates? Both. By pirates, okay. for pirates. Okay. So <laughs> if you're out there listening to the show and you are a pirate, yeah. you would also enjoy Our Flag Means Death. So is this Soul Mason also a pirate? Or do you just like super I, like pirates? He's a shipmaster. So he <laughs> maintains the harbor where all of his pirate OCRs come back to. You mean he's the bone son of the ship? <laughs> but that's a classic sailor's joke that no one understands. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, here you got it. I got it. I'm good. No, I got it. I, I got, got it too. I all research right, a lot of stuff with ships. Trust me. I know a bosun. <laughs> I enjoy it ship movies but that's about it yeah. i play sea of thieves <laughs> uh, um. well i am harry but today i'm bramble king Alarwal snarlvine gnarl warrior of the snarling doom grove i feel like you said snarl four times yeah oh, it's oh. in there like, it's in <laughs> twice but gnarled is also in yeah, there and that rhymes go. with snarl Bramble King is pretty sweet, though. Yeah, I like I feel yeah. like this is Karnathi. Probably. I know they're like some of these that We've I'm got some new Karnathi coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, like Bramble King, Snarling, Gnawing. Like it's very much like wood elf, like feral wood elfy is kind of the vibe I'm picking up. It's the best type of wood elf. Yeah, I can't get past the Snarling and the Gnawing. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining an insane tree spirit. It just like starts eating other tree spirits. Right. Right. Like <laughs> right. gnawing on the bones of other dryads, like it's undead, like a, but yet still completely living. Like an extreme version of the, uh, of the, um, uh, what are the, not the, the spite revenants, right? Not yeah. the tree revenants, but the spite revenants, yeah. the outcasts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like a a bestial version of that where they've just completely gone mad. Well, and I thought you were going to say like an extreme version of like weeds and like plants are like, oh, I need to get this out of my garden because it's taking all the nutrients and killing the others. This is that to the extreme. (laughs) Taking the nutrients out of the other sylvan. Right. Well, if you think about it, the the gnarlwood introduced us to a lot of, uh, I guess you could call it predatory plant life oh for sure so if sylvaneth are basically the spirits of plant life and elves merged what would uh uh gurish sylvaneth look like i think it could be a lot more bestial than just painting them brown yeah a lot more teethy a lot more teeth teeth everywhere their bark is also their bite (laughs) <laughs> i'm imagining more made out of vines than made out of Ooh. trees mm. and then the thorns or the teeth mm. i love that very cool probably befitting of a bramble king mm-hmm. exactly yeah. there you go full circle full circle full Darn. circle we brought it you solved it <laughs> and i'm will but today i am nubilagan fire soul concealed enigma of the unknowable key. Nubilagan. 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 Yes. It doesn't read as German, but as soon as you pronounce it, like, this is German. <laughs> that is, 
And what was the surname? Fire, Fire Soul. Fire Soul. Nubelagen, Fire Soul. As opposed to the old Belagen, the new yeah. Belagen. <laughs> yeah, it's right. the new Belagen. Right. Well, old Belagen was his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say he's a steel helm. Mm-hmm. I, I know this name generator doesn't have steel helms, but I'm going for it. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. What was the ti- the uh, the title? Concealed Enigma of the Unknowable Key. Oh, so we all think that he's a steel helm, but he's actually a Kyric acolyte. Right. So yeah. he's a disciple of Pontifex Semester, is what I'm hearing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing. He's going to be like a secret cultist. And he's like, I'm going to get close to the Pontifex, and that will give me power. We can turn this whole crusade. You need to make to carry what? Her throne? Yeah, I can do that. Then he's dead three days later. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's the worst thing that could happen to someone. It's like, how many wheels do I need to join this? Like four wheels? All four. I'll be back. He picked an uncomplicated or unnecessarily complicated name just so people would stop thinking about the second title. Just be like Nubalog. Like, where did Nubalogging come from? Like, where, where did you pick this up from? Yeah. Oh, my father's Hishian, so. Yeah. <laughs> my father's mother's brother's sisters. <laughs> I'm a quarter Gurish on my mom's side. Um, all right. Well, welcome to the latest episode of Path to Story. We've made a few changes uh, here in. How we structure things. Basically, it'll be the same show, but we've now set everything within our very own stronghold. All of our classic sections are returning. They're just going to have fun names at the beginning. And before we dive into it, uh, just going to do our end of show notes here at the beginning, just like we've kind of been doing with the story phase. So if you would like to share your stories with us, you can head on over to our Twitter or X at Path to Story. You can also chat with us on our Discord at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. We are part of the Mortal Realms Network, and you can check out the other shows on our network at themortalrealms.com. You can also chat with everyone in the Discord again. Uh, We have the Mortal Realms story phase to embrace the lore of the Age of Sigmar. What the Hex for those delving deep into Warhammer Underworlds. And always feel free to join the Dogs of Warcry so you can cry havoc and embrace the skirmish battles of war cry consider leaving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice or you can leave a tip over on our patreon at themortalrealms.com slash patreon with that being said let's move over to our first wing of the stronghold which is the workshop in the workshop we show off the progress we've made in our armies and share the stories we have created harry what have you worked on uh, since our last episode so hobby wise, I've been all over the place, um, as as is normal for me. Um, I <laughs> with uh, with Trug being released upon the mortal realms, uh, there has been just Trogoths everywhere, and as a result, I was able to get my hands on a deal uh, for three of the rock gut Trogoths nice. that um, that one of our local players who is playing an all Trogoth army said he had too many. So he needed to put these ones up for adoption. I don't understand the, that statement. I know. Like 
too many and miniatures never go in the same sentence. <laughs> but he said he had too many. So, um, yeah. So I've got three shiny new rocket Trogoths here. Yay! In glorious gray plastic because I'm still cleaning mold lines off of them. They're yeah. not as bad as as older models that I'm used to, but there's still some. One feature on these Rocka Trogoths, which I'm sure all of our listeners are already aware of, but since I hadn't gotten my hands on them before, I was not, is the option to put this billy goat over the shoulder of one of them. <laughs> yep. That's yep. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what, another one, you can put a bird's nest on his head. That he yep, I've, yeah. I've, got, I've got that. Yep. Yeah, that's There's my favorite. Bird's, bird's nest. Mm-hmm. And this one carrying a grot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazing. I painted all those, and they're gorgeous models. So they different. really are. They really are. And uh, there's tons of options for faces on that mm-hmm. sprue, which is great because this old guy, the uh, the um, what is this? Battle for Skull Pass, Trogoth. Oh yeah. Um, he didn't have much of a nose before now, but with all the extra faces that came on that sprue, I was able to hook him up with a proper Trogoth nose, as you can see there. Nice. Um, yeah. Have you seen um, Sugarhammer's meme troll face? Oh yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that. It's um, adorable. Listeners at home, uh, Shugs or uh, what is it, Rogue Hobbies? Now. Yep. Yep. Uh, she painted up a Trogoth face, but the thing is, like, before you fully assemble it, like, the back half of the head has a spot where the face connects to, and there are two dots, and then the tongue is sticking out. So she painted it where the dots were the eyes, and it was just like a googly eye troll face, and it is... It's amazing. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> Truly amazing. Um, let's see, what else have I done? Uh, I also was able to get my hands on the... Uh, the original Sylvaneth Underworlds Warband. Um, oh. My son's taking more of an interest in Underworlds. And so I'm collecting some of those older Warbands if I can get a hold of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, every time I get uh, one of those Warbands, I'm consistently impressed by how good the sculpts are. And there's yeah. just so much character yeah. packed into a small handful of models. Uh, I really love how Games Workshop lets the sculptors go hog wild on the Underworlds warbands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah. Well, because that's the one with the leader, like the bottom half, instead of it being legs, it's just like thorns. Vines, thorny yeah. vines. And that's thorny just vines. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then she, like, each of her retinue has a ton of characters. She's got yeah. an archer, um, a guy with a halberd, which I don't yeah. think appears anywhere else in the army. And then uh, the one tree revenant with the sword has these massive horns, uh, almost like Orion's uh, yeah. old look. Yeah. So just, uh, again, great models, all of them. I've also painted those, and those are fantastic. Yep. Yep. I'm excited to paint them. And then one other thing I saw on social media, Harry, is you were working on something that is not a miniature. Right? No, no, it's uh, it's one to one scale or oh, darn close. Um, so my son has decided that he wants to be a Lumineth, uh, Sonari lore seeker for Halloween, mm. and so I was like, man, um, we're not going to be able to find that costume in Walmart. Um, 
what? Uh, they don't have that for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And so then I, you know, I thought about it. I'm like, there's a lot of crossover between miniatures and cosplayers. And if you're on Twitter or any other social media, you've seen this. So I thought, how hard could it be to, uh, to, to get some EVA foam and mold it into armor? You know, I'm not the most artistic person, but I can, I can figure out some rough shapes. I've got the model here. Let's figure this out. So this weekend, that has been my project, and it's coming along better than I had expected. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's definitely definitely a learning process. Um, I've gone through a couple different types of glues till I found one that worked pretty well. And uh, the detailing is going to be uh, a challenge that I still have to tackle as far as like the uh, the trim and stuff on the armor. But I've got the rough shapes, and uh, we're just going to throw that on a pair of light blue sweats to uh, to represent his Yemetrican colors. The pants that they have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's, you know, of course, living in Texas, he's got, already got some cowboy boots, so those will, will make for his uh, lore seeker boots. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, I think at the end of it, thankfully, he didn't want a helmet. So oh, he's, he's going to be, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just have to do the the chest armor and the shoulder armor and the knee pads, and I think think we'll be set. Well, you didn't want to break his neck with a massive hat that was as small as he <laughs> I was mean, before. He'd be time. made out made out of foam, so he'll he'll be fine. No, no, thankfully he did not want that. So <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's all my hobby. That's awesome. That's and then fun. a new thing we're adding to the workshop, just a by people into a little bit of like our army building and stuff. Is there anything lore wise, like a new piece of information for your army that we hadn't talked about in the past yet? Uh, for me, I'm going to say other than figuring out how my Trogoths fit into my Gatonia army. Ooh. Um, so the lore for them, I, I don't know if the listeners will remember, but I am collecting a Gitz army that's going to visually be mimicking an old Bretonian army. Um, yeah. So the Trogoths are, of course, the trebuchets. Oh, my gosh. Uh, they're nice. <laughs> yeah, because their whole job in the army is to throw rocks. That's all you need. So, so yep, that's the uh, the Grot Lord that oversees the entire army. He, he just invited them along to throw rocks, and they're basically the artillery for the army, even I... though... Stat wise, you know, like they can only throw like eight inches or something. Yeah. I fine. so funnily enough, just earlier in this month, I saw someone on another Discord like asking everyone, like, hey, what's the definition of a shooting army in AOS? And so everyone had like their own variations, but the idea was a shooting army is an army that does most of its damage from shooting. Um and like, cool, cool. Cause I had someone tell me my Trogoth army was a shooting army. Because all the talk about throw things. <laughs> it's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> no, no. Um, I was amused because I thought you were going to have the Trogoths be the gray, Grail Reliquay. <laughs> they were dead, but they were going to be regenerating as you're walking along, right? Like, right. <laughs> oh, see, my thought was instead of like carrying boulders, they're just carrying like a like the grill reliquary the with grill a dead relic. on it. Like yeah. the one that's holding the git that <laughs> and he's just carrying him around. <laughs> I love it. I love and then it. turn him into a doom diver. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, Jack. 
um paul what have you been working on uh speaking of trogoths i have been continuing my work on the uh trug miniature trug Um, trug 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 trug. i i had to convert it as with everything uh because um i didn't put normal faces on my trogoths because i put the uh the faces from the plague flies from nurgle on mine so oh I, yeah yeah so i had to chop off his head and get another head on there so hmm. um interesting so then i added a couple more things because i might as well since i started adding things to begin with yeah can't stop um, right but the uh the kind of lore thing is i'm looking at that new thorn of karnathi and it's it's a bit of a problem for me because i have a full Sylvaneth army already, yep. and everything is converted to have six limbs. Oh, oh, uh, because they're my Spiderneth army. So I've got to figure out how that works. And uh, well, doesn't the new Big Beetle have six limbs? It does. So it's already partway there. Yes, yeah. it's just the uh, the Karnoth hunter on top. So yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So. Uh, and then this month, I've been working on um, things for two different armies. First, um, I was given, we were given early copies of some models from Games Workshop. Thank you, Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on my Hobgrot Great Cannon. Oh, boy. Um, so, Man, yeah. that's a good looking cannon. I got the Ironwall Great Cannon, and I did some small conversions on the Hobgrots to get them to work. Turns out all of the hand tools the cannoneers use, humans and hobgrats have the same sized wrist. So I was able to just very easily swap it. And I found like, I was just going through my piles of hobgrats because like one of the tools is like the long stick they use to light the cannon. And then they have like the range finder. So I had to find a hobgrat that was in just the right pose where he could look through the range finder while holding that stick and it like looked normal. I found him. Nice. Um, so I have one hobgrat that's doing that, and the other one, instead of having the guy who's drinking out of the moonshine jug, mm-hmm. there's just another hobgrat off to the side who is distracted looking at treasure. So oh, <laughs> one nice. guy is doing all the work, and the other guy is just kind of goofing off on the side. <laughs> um, the other things I had to do was I got rid of all the filigree off the cannon. Um, so instead of having the things on the very top, I just kind of cut those off and sanded it down right. so it's a little bit smoother. And I don't have the side panels. Uh, oh, okay. On yeah. The cannon. So it brings the silhouette down a little bit. It makes it look a lot smaller than the original one. But there's so many like extraneous bits, like um, like all the the cannon shot that you can use, and they have like a cool little like arm they use to load it also it's um cartridge ammunition so they're not ask is that a is that a breech loading cannon yeah it's a breech loading cannon they use cartridge and they actually like they load the ammo into um it's almost like a missile tube and they will swap the tubes out instead of having to load the ammunition so one person is like using the arm to swap the tubes while the other person is filling the tube with the, the cartridge. Fascinating. Super cool. 
Um, cause everyone was like, oh, they, you know, they downgraded technology because they saw that it looked like Fusilier instead of a musket. But even in Dawnbringers 2, the book, they mentioned that they all use cartridges. So mm-hmm. it is actually more advanced technology. It just looks different than how we would envision it because they're on a different tech tree because they're in a different universe than us. Right, right. So that, I thought that was super cool. Um, Lore-wise for that, it's nothing crazy. I need cannons. Um, the Hobgrats have been doing good trade with some of their allied factions, especially back in the Prime Dominion of Hish. Uh, so they got that pretty easily. The other project I've been working on, um, I didn't mention it, the cannon and the Hobgrats are not painted as of yet. But I was able to very rapidly paint Ionis Cryptborn. What? And his brand new dragon friend. Also, thank you, Games Workshop. That looks amazing. Um, yeah. This is the first addition to the Stormscale Covenant since season one of Path to Story. I oh, painted man. up the armor in my Stormscale Covenant colors. I didn't do any conversions because the Ionis head is just too good. I didn't want to mm-hmm. replace it with a dragon head. But then I painted the dragon uh, black with white wings to make the, the armor pop a little bit more. Um, but also I've just had like in the background of my narrative, like two named dragons that I haven't used yet. Or two ideas, I should say. One has always been a black dragon. One has been a green dragon. One black dragons are just cool. And then I have a history with the title green dragon uh, going back to my military days so i'm like nice. i need to so but instead of ionis and um i can't think of his regular dragon name Cathorac? this is yeah Cathorac. this is clemenos star speaker and the black dragon zalamak shadow maw nice and very cool they are the leaders of the faith Dracothian, which is within their storm host. They worship Dracothian alongside Sigmar as great allies. And uh, Clemenos has been like the preacher for all this time. And up until the era of beasts, everyone's been like, yeah, of course we worship Dracothian, but like we're just stormcasts. I don't see any dragons around. So you're not that high up in the chain of command. And then one day, they just see great <laughs> shadows in the sky. Like, oh my God, what's that? Awesome. And so now he, him and Zalamak are two of their main leaders um, because they control the faith. And he was rewarded for his faith by having the the dragon come help out. Very cool. Yeah. Man, the, the silhouette on that new dragon is just amazing. It's just so cool. It looks so good. Yeah. And I don't, I haven't seen too many people talk about it. He's standing atop a ruined uh, chaos symbol. You oh, can tell it's like the eight pointed star that they've cracked. They're like, nah, we're, we're not, awesome. we're not going to let this stand. So um, cool. Yeah. Cause normally you see like all the ruins are like from the age of myth and it's cool to see right. From the age of chaos. Yeah. So that has been our hobby for the past little while. And with that being said, we can move on from the workshop and make our way to the war room.
In the War Room, we talk through the battles we faced and chart the progress of our warlords. This is where we're going to do our battle reports and aftermath sequences. Um, before I dive into the game I played earlier today at the last minute, uh, okay. Harry or Paul, did any either of you get games in? No. Uh, I did. I did get a game of Underworlds in. Oh, um, nice! With my son, um, we played. Uh, let's see. I took the Eshin um, Warband. I'm trying to remember the name. Spike uh, Claw Swarm. Yes, Spike Claw Swarm, and he was playing as the um, the Shadow Stalkers. Yep. Okay. I'm blanking on the the real names yeah. or the the official names for both of them, but uh, had a lot of fun. Um, it's man, it's such a a straightforward game, easy to teach, uh, and uh, the rules are only a little bit confusing the first time you read them through. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. like I think we made one mistake on on the order of things. Um, only one mistake. But, That's not that bad. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but it but it went well. I I like that they've changed uh, a couple of things in there um, for playing uh, the uh, ploys um, from when I first played it. It seems a little more uh, straightforward with the the newer version of the game. That's good. So hopefully hopefully we'll get some more games in. Uh, he seemed to have a good time, and it's a, a nice way to. Get some Warhammer when you don't have time for a full game of Age of Sigmar. Nice. Yeah. No, that is super nice. Um, and then, yeah, so the for the past episode, I mentioned I've been doing a lot of, like, demo games, which I listened to. Uh, the Dogs of Warcry actually have a whole episode about how to do good demos. I've been trying to do that a little bit better. But I finally got to play a game that wasn't a demo game where I don't have to play my very weak Krill Boys. I finally got to play a Path to Glory game. Nice. So awesome. I'm going to talk about it. Um, I played with one of our local guys, uh, Celtic Joe. Um, we both were kind of new to playing our armies. This was my first game with the Cities of Sigmar. First game with the list. First time doing everything and just trying to figure it out as we go. And I was kind of right that the orders weren't going to be as powerful as people were saying they were because very rarely did they help out specifically because I wasn't playing a gunline army. If you're playing a gunline army, they're overpowered. If you're playing a steel helm focused human army, nah, you mean not a steel helm bit. focused Hobgrat army, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was playing my Zarak crusade or the cities of Hobgrats. Um, the battle we played it was an open play battle um, but just so he could get practice and he was still doing battle tactics he was still doing grand strategies it had no effect on the scoring of the game but just to get that practice in which was super right. nice that you know I got to focus on my narrative and trying out my new narrative army doing all of my narrative things and he got to get some practice doing some match play stuff and we didn't no one was really sacrificing our style of play to to play the game with the other person which was super nice very cool um so we rolled on the open play tables in the core rule book and we had it where we had like 
diagonal territories. So I had bottom left and top right, and he had the opposites. Okay. Um, there were three objectives we had to control, one at the very center of the battlefield, and then one in each of our territories, which kind of meant the game was focused on one half of the map. Because no matter what two you were going to do, they were always going to be adjacent to each other. Um, as far as twists go, it was a bonus on our runs and charges. And as far as ruses go, I could light a terrain piece on fire that would kill people, and he didn't have to do battle shock. One of those came into play in that game. Huh. It wasn't the lighting territory on fire. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, I had my hopes up. Yeah. As far as who fought, again, I was playing the Zara Crusade, my list. So the idea is like it's a Hobgrat swarm. So I had two blocks of reinforced Hobgrat steel helms. So two units of 20. I had my marshal on foot with his command corps because they could prevent people from fleeing and bring models back. And then I had my warforger with an emerald life swarm so they could bring models back and give them bonuses. And then to round out, I had cavaliers who were going to do flanking maneuvers. The thing about building a list that focuses on bringing models back is they need to survive at least one round of combat. And <laughs> Joe had corn <laughs> and he had very good corn and he played them very well and played into their strengths, which meant, nope, um, it was over pretty quickly. Um, like off the bat, he lured, they have an ability to pull Hobgrats away. Right. So it's that they, he just enraged them, called them short and they freaked out and ran at him. <laughs> so they didn't have any of those cool support buffs from those support characters I had. And they just died. Was he doing that with the, uh, the, uh, what are they called? Gore priests? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was on the faction terrain piece. So it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then two bloodthirsters took him out. My original plan was to like use the steel helms to get my warlord to his faction terrain so I could light it on fire. Yeah. But then they died. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, in, Slaughter Priest. That's what it's called. Yeah, Slaughter Priest. Yeah, slaughter Priest. Um, so instead, I lit my own terrain on fire, so he had to go around it to get to my objective. Why not? You might as well. Um, I got my other unit of Steel Helms in. They started cutting down his uh, Corn Mortals, the Blood Reavers. I got a, a unit down to like one model, but he didn't have to do Battle Shock, so I was stuck there with one guy holding us down Jeez. so we were just i was in my head it's just like one corn champion who's just like swinging his sword around distracting everyone until reinforcements came just like holding his ground right um and then at the end i had my cavaliers like trying to flank around and eventually they just flanked to try to get into um enemy territory so i could at least get some quest points to to further my crusade Mm-hmm. Um, but it was over pretty quickly and the store was starting to close up shop because we started pretty late so I, I just like seeded the game in turn three so I didn't have to suffer as many casualties <laughs> right but you there again we talked about this before you were able to focus on doing things that will at least get you quest points well theoretically um, <laughs> because I had misread something oh. <laughs> I had 
I had made sure that some of my models for my cavaliers were in enemy territory. Uh-huh. But and then as I was doing my aftermath sequence, it's the unit has to be wholly within. Right. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't get it. <laughs> oh. Um, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was a super fun battle. We were both like not super experienced with our armies. Not I've been rusty, haven't played like an actual not demo game in a little bit. So like, oh, I have to try again. What's that like? I'm used to losing on purpose, quote unquote. Um, but no, it was a lot of fun and I'm I'm glad we were able to do it. And we had people coming up to us at the store just like checking out what we were doing, which was a lot of fun. And he's a, a fun person to play with. Yeah, Joe's a great guy. That's yeah. cool. Um, as far as the aftermath sequence goes, I had to roll casualties. I only lost three steel helms in one unit and one steel helm in the other. I, of course, spent glory to re-roll those. It used to be four and two, and luckily I got to bring that number down. Okay. Uh, but mathematically, it should have been a lot worse. So I'm happy with the result I had. As far as furthering my crusade, technically, since I lost, I lose a crusade point, but you can't go lower than zero. So That's right. <laughs> you beat I call that system. a win. <laughs> I beat the system. <laughs> That's a win in my book. Um, I didn't get any of my quest points because I didn't have anyone wholly within their territory. So that sucks. But the quest I'm on is Across the Plains, which in our review I mentioned is going to be the one I'm always going to do because it means I roll twice on the setbacks table and I get to pick the result. Right. I rolled ahead of time, but I didn't pick yet, mostly because I don't. I'm torn. I want to do it live on the air because my choices are um, where did it go? I don't Uh, know. I rolled a two and a three. Yep. So the two is no way forward. Your current path is blocked. You'll have to find another route around, which is if you are embarked on a quest, lose quest points. I feel like that's an easy one to take. The other one was low ammunition. Uh, Next path to glory battle at the end of your shooting phase. Roll a dice for each friendly unit that shot in that phase. On a one, they're out of ammunition. They can't be picked to shoot. When I said I was going to do this live, I was like, it's because neither one matters. But I, I now have a gray cannon. But I couldn't use it earlier today right? because uh, it wasn't done. But now I can use it. And it would have honestly changed the game for me. So I think I'm going to lose my quest points yeah. <laughs> so my poor cannon can do its job. <laughs> Instead of losing the only thing in your army that shoots. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good choice. Well, you don't you don't fully lose it. You just don't know when it's going to quit. It can fight in <laughs> melee. Yeah. So, <laughs> it can I mean, hold objectives. It may not run out of ammo until round four. You, n- yeah. you never know. It's a one and six. So mathematically, it wouldn't happen until round six. So <laughs> Right. You never make it to round well, six anyway. It'll never happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think I'm going to just say, oh, the road was blocked, and the road was blocked by two bloodthirsters, and I'm just, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll take See, the long way around. I was afraid it was going to tell you that you had to quit that quest and start a new one. Like, you have to go through different terrain. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, that wouldn't make a difference either. <laughs> <laughs> a path diverged to the woods, and I, I took the one without the two bloodthirsters. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was gonna say, in a way, it's good I got these results now 
instead of like I'm about to like finish my crusade. I'm almost at, lose six points. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, so definitely better. Um, with that being said, we can move on from the war room and make our way into the library. In the library, we ponder the latest Path to Glory material from Games Workshop and come up with narrative ideas to field it. So this is going to kind of be where we do our book reviews slash any other kind of like idea or narrative thoughts. Maybe library can be, maybe you'll hear it as the treasury next time around or <laughs> the archives. It's, but in that veins, this is where we are going to do that. In that veins? You mean the veins? Hey, the, the veins. hey in the veins. Um, and for this episode, we are going to talk about White Dwarf, uh, specifically issue 493. The cool thing about this issue is that it is the start of a multi-month-long narrative campaign done through the Bunker, which is the new Games Workshop's largest gaming club that is done through White Dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we cool. kind of talked about it in like past episodes. Like, this is such a cool idea. I hope they do these things. And it was more of they need to do these things in order for it to be worth it. A narrative campaign, yeah, was one of the things. <laughs> so yep. we're doing it. Um, yeah, let me just open it up so I get all the names right. Uh, so the cool thing about it is, um, we've got the author, uh, Layla Craven, who's written a lot of narrative articles in White Dwarf already, uh, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. And it is a narrative campaign based in the Slide Crown Isle, mm-hmm. which is an area of Gairan, which has some super cool lore in it about a, a crown of thorns or a bramble crown. And it's Sylvaneth versus Nurgle. Um, and this whole campaign is called the Slide Crown Sundering. So, yes, you're absolutely correct. What I thought was really cool is this is a Kurnothi Bramble yeah. Crown. Yeah. Um, and it in his it's a historical like setting, basically, where the crown has fallen, but it's created this like Aquagaranis fountain or spring, as it were, that's created yeah. this cool set setting it's it's really awesome little detail that is covered relatively quickly but gives you so much depth and like things to play for yeah so a cool thing uh about this and like the fact that uh layla saran who wrote it some background is before they started writing for a games workshop they used to be a writer for the animosity campaigns which is, I think, still the largest online narrative Age of Sigmar campaign that is out there. Um, mm-hmm. They get close to 200 people uh, every year, which is phenomenal. And a cool thing that they've done for this campaign is something that has sort of carried over, which is the idea of there are these factions or coalitions you can join for this campaign that are not Grand Alliance locked. Yep. which is pretty neat. So the example for um, this Sundering Isle or Sundered Isle um, campaign type thing is there are people who want to preserve the forest as it is and protect it and people who want to destroy it 
And the third one are rogues, who are just out for themselves, and they are free to join any team they want uh, between rounds, which is super neat. Um, and since the whole campaign is based around this Karnathi crown, you would think, oh, Order is going to defend, and you know, since Nurgle is the one wanting to destroy, it's pretty straightforward. The cool thing they mentioned this article is that they've been playing this um, at Games Workshop in the studio, mm-hmm. and it, they've had the yeah, there have been Gloomspike Gits who have been trying to protect like the dank places in the forest. All the Stormcasts are like, well, we can't have Chaos get their hands on this, so burn the forest down. Right. Uh, so it's a good excuse of like why, like, oh, you can flip this script any way you want, so you can play your army the way you want to without having to go like, well, I'm Ideneth, I guess I'm the good guys. Nope, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna guess, based on the fact that it's White Dwarf, that Sam Pearson is running the Gloomspike Gets. And that Lyle Lowry is running the Stormcast. Because <laughs> he's he's running his own custom. Well, not custom at this point, because they're they're now canon. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Stormcast hosts. So. That. I would love to hear someone tell us whether that's right or wrong. Um, yeah, email it, us at pathofstory at gmail.com, please. If Tonekeepers <laughs> Space Marines are a canon chapter, which they are, yeah. then... The Stormcast are also their own canon Stormcast. So, Storm of course, Man. gotta be true. Um, and yeah, it, it, if you've, I've mentioned this multiple, multiple times, White Dwarf keeps putting some amazing content in. If you haven't read about the Storm Host, they're super sweet and they're a lot of fun. And they made a big splash during the last narrative arc that was in White Dwarf last year. So, I would highly recommend getting some back issues and checking those out because they're awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. There's so much cool stuff in these, especially with the addition of the bunker, like white dwarf is only getting better as we go along. It's great. Nice. Um, uh, so as far as the, the slide crown sundering campaign goes, it's going to be in three different issues. This is just chapter one. And it allows anyone to do this sort of narrative campaign with their local groups. Um, they recommend having a campaign organizer um, from either one of the teams, someone who can just tally the results uh, and make sure that everyone is kind of happy. Um, the other cool thing is how you can participate. Obviously, playing games will help. Uh, but you can also paint up units or submit a creative piece either in writing or kind of like what your group decides uh, that advances your narrative. And the, you... the nice thing about a campaign like this, Will, is if you're going to be that campaign organizer, you're, it's not as heavy of a lift as being like a full DM, you know, you, you right. don't have to come up with the story. They've already got done. They've already done all the hard work for you in White Dwarf. Yeah. Uh, you just kind of have to referee. Yep, exactly. You kind of have to tell you the score and tell people who won. Because yep. um, the winning team does get cool rewards. Um, and th- But those rewards will come with the next chapter. Um, so you actually get some time between. Like, you don't have to like rush. Everyone get your games in now, now, now. Um, you've got until the next White Dwarf comes before you kind of go into what the final results were. Well, um, and those rewards are 
half the glory rewards and yep. war cry rewards and war cry awesome. rewards yeah because this is both war cry and your your big hammer age of sigmar games which is super neat oh um, that's cool yeah if the local war cry group wasn't currently doing um a Soroth core campaign which sounds super cool um I would have pitched them. I might still pitch them this as their next like league campaign. Um, see how they like that. Um, but yeah, so you can get up to five points for your team by doing any of those three things. You can play five games, you can paint five units, or you can do like five creative writing pieces based on like what your group decides. And there's just a little dial that is going to shift back between preservation and obliteration for your gaming groups. Which is super neat. So they just have like that general idea, but then through the stages, they will like have new lore updates with new goals for each of the groups. So in stage one, it is traverse the forests. Um, and it's basically everyone coming out to this area. The preservers are there to protect the forest. Um, as people are cutting through, you're trying to stop them. The obliterators are trying to destroy the forest. If they can tear this down, they're one step closer to uh, getting their reward. And the rogues or the independent like mercenary groups, they're just trying to strip the forest. You know, these trees have been soaking in Aqua Gyranus. They're can heal people with their bark and they can do all this cool stuff wouldn't it be pretty neat to chop it down and sell it <laughs> um and so they can switch you know for stage one you could be a rogue working with the preservers or you'd be working with the obliterators and then come stage two you can flip-flop which is super neat and they also tell you what the stages are um are going to be just like a little foreshadowing they all come with cool lore narratives cool lore updates but we do know down the road is stage two which is cross the water and stage three which is seize the crown uh so if you're trying to come up with like your group's narrative you can kind of see where you're going so you can kind of like write that ahead of time like oh where, right you're, where you're trying to go yeah exactly which i think is better than just like which some um like narrative campaigns have done just like they don't tell anyone anything early because they want to they don't want that to like fuel the narratives or people plan into the game like aggressively but i do like that they have an idea of what's going to happen so they can start planting the seeds right um you want to hear my big brain idea yes we record once a month right we do record once a month and they update this once a month for three months they do update this once a month for three months. And you don't need to play games, but you can play games. Yeah. And there's four of us, and there's three oh teams God. and one person to run. This is true. The other cool thing, the way you can um, gain points is playing a game, uh-huh. painting units, and uh-huh. updating your narrative. Yeah. That's... I feel that's like the that's workshop in the war this, room on this uh, yeah. podcast anyway. So, so I, I think like the real the question is, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you know, I, I'm just wondering, I think we need to have a chat with everybody and yeah. decide if Kieran is going to be the one who's running it or if Will's going to be the one who's running it. 
Well, <laughs> so the the cool thing is the person who's running it can be on one of the teams. They actually right, yeah. recommend it. They just say it can't be a rogue. Um because oh. then the rogues will use their hidden knowledge to like switch teams part way through. Wait, rogues get hidden knowledge? Well, it's not that rogues get hidden knowledge, but the person running the campaign will be getting all the results. Oh, okay. So if they're a rogue and they're like, you know what? The obliterators are winning. I'm an obliterator this turn. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. The only reason I didn't include you, Harry, is because I feel like there would be some tension of like, I can't make my son lose. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, or I'm not going to make myself lose over my son. Come on. Right? Yeah. I'm going to win. <laughs> you don't need to win games to get points. You just need to play them. Oh, cool. Um, so that's neat. That's it, yeah. great. It's about participation. That's, I like that way of scoring. <laughs> we should we can do that it. way of scoring, like no. always, for everything. <laughs> like when you're getting your glory at the end of a game. <laughs> exactly. Did you play the game? Yes. You get all the glory. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to bring that up with Karen, see how he wants to participate, and then yeah, we'll have to give him his real mic back. Yeah, of the plastic one. He's on camera. We're just not letting him talk. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him screaming. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, there's also a cool thing. Um, it's kind of split up in the, the White Dwarf article, which. Eh. Um, but then they have the battle pack for Traverse the Forest, which is super neat. I'm just going to read this. I normally don't like reading whole paragraphs, but, but I'm going to because I like it so much. And it's ideal for beginners, as well as being a great battle pack, we'll be the judge of that, uh, <laughs> to use in the Slide Crown Sundering campaign, this battle pack can be used to fight one-off battles with a narrative flair. Okay, it is great. Um <laughs> This battle pack focuses on battles that are smaller in size than a typical match play battle and simplifies a few areas of the rules. For example, battalions are not used. This makes it suitable for new players as well as veterans seeking a new challenge. So, I was going to say, that's cool. I don't use battalions anyway. Right, yeah. And you can <laughs> I always forget. forget. <laughs> well, and let's, um, not, let's not miss the fact that this is a battle pack. Right. This is a way of playing Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is cool. I, you know, yeah. again, it's one of those levers that we haven't seen. Like, oh, this is a narrative play battle pack. This is an open play battle pack. This is a match play battle pack. No, this is just a, a campaign battle pack. Yep. Just campaign battle, battle, battle pack. pack. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one off, it specifically says one off battles. I honestly, looking at the, some of these updates that I'm just going to like read out, I think this is perfect for doing. Demo games. I wish I had this a month ago, uh, for real. Nice. Um, because point limits, uh, maximum 1,500 points. So you're not going to be playing a 2K game. It's going to be a little bit smaller. Um, in addition, army must include at least one hero. That hero must be your general, which is pretty... like That's match play standard, but not necessarily anything else. Your army must include at least one battle line unit. So that's going to be... For the the Path to Glory narrative players, we'll actually have to look at battle lines. And then no more than half your points can be spent on a single unit. That's pretty standard. Um, it's Battles are fought on a battlefield that are 30 inches by 44 inches, which so, is half the size. I was going to say that's what, two Warcry 
two warp uh, mats. Yeah, two warp. Um, this makes it super deadly because even at a thousand points, all the other battle packs recommend a full size board. So yeah, fifteen hundred points on a half size board. Ooh, baby. Hey. Yeah, I've done a thousand on a half size board, and it's in your face. Yeah. Bar, you know, bar fight. Uh, I can't imagine fifteen hundred. Um, there are three battle plans: uh, Treasures of the Viridian King, the Ley Line, and Sacred Springs. Can I um, butt in for one second here? Please do. So we've got a points limit, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You have to include a hero. Yep. You have to include a battle line. Yep. Doesn't say they have to be from the same tome. How? This is a battle pack. Get out of here. <laughs> it doesn't. It must agree yeah, on a points I mean, limit. Yeah. Maximum right. of 1,500. It's In true. addition it's to the following restrictions. Same thing, um, open play hash. You can do it. You won't get like your um, army bonuses because yeah, that is a core rule. Yeah. But yeah, go for it. Interesting. It doesn't have, yeah. It, you can have a your army and then someone else's battle line. Oh, or an could, oh my god! You could do a harbinger because it doesn't say it has to be a hero from your battle tome. Right? Yep. What were you thinking? I, I feel like you had an epiphany. Well, I didn't have I'm an epiphany. Your epiphany voice. Uh, my last animosity campaign, I played uh, my titular character, Sever, Blade of the Arunar, who um, is kind of like a lore master type character, but I made like a separate War Scroll and he's using the Kato Ezekiel model. Yeah. And uh-huh. he had his mercenary Hobgrats. Yeah. So I could. Play Sever as the warlord of my Hobgrat army for this. You know what else yeah. it doesn't say? What? Can't be an, an Anvil of Apotheosis hero. Oh, yeah. Anvil of Apotheosis for sure. It just has to be a hero. I feel like we're coming up with this campaign on the spot, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm not saying we um, are, but we are. But we might. Yeah. If you hear us next month talking about it, it's because we talked offline <laughs> and confirmed it. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to go through these last few things. Um, so there's faction terrain. You can't use it. And I think part of that's just because the, the thing is so small. Like, you're just not going to fit it. Plus, you don't have a um, faction. So, you know, it's totally fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't use any battalions. Uh, it's got the alternating deployment. It's got smaller objectives, which is fun. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting thing. Um, yeah, three inches instead of six. And then they have uh, their own twist table, like you would have an open play. Which is awesome. And they're all very Gyran narrative inspired. So I like that. I, I had a feel feeling like you would one... like that. I do like that. <laughs> and one thing they don't say is they don't say you can't still do your path to glory. And if you are playing a cities of Sigmar, maybe you're playing alongside the Dawnbringer crusades, right? There's nothing against you being able to go on your Garenite crusade and have your Garenite setbacks table alongside these Garenite battle plans and these Garenite twists that they have 
uh, for the different battles. Very cool. Um, so I think you should definitely be able to kind of staple these onto each other and kind of like play two campaigns, quote unquote, at once in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, not unlike you can play a match play game and still have the results count for your path to glory. Yeah, exactly. The, the real question is, if you are going to try and found a city or a strong point in the Slide Crown Isle, would that make you an obliterator or would that make you a preserver or would that make yes. you a rogue? Rogue, baby. <laughs> yes, it depends on what type of city you're trying to build. Yeah. And what you plan on doing after it's built. Right. And what kind of city you like, came from. Just like, I'll tell you this. If my Hobgrass got in there, I'm an obliterator. They are not <laughs> leaving trees behind. <laughs> like, you can, like, they're pulling sh- those things up from the stump. <laughs> You're going to shove those trees into the cannon and just launch them. Burn it all. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to go too deep into the battle plans themselves. They are... Super cool. Um, I do like them. Like there are hidden treasures in one. There's a ley line in the other. Um, um, the other, the third one's got healing waters. They're not super complicated. They're they're pretty straightforward because again, it is kind of tool to be simple play, kind of for beginners. But there are things that are new rules you may not have seen in a battle plan before. Um, for people who have played so don't brush it aside going like oh it's a white dwarf campaign it's all pretty straightforward there's a lot of uniqueness in here that i think one you should just add these to your general repertoire of battle plans because they're cool also i think consider following along with the white dwarfs um and playing along with these uh campaign rules i think is super worth it and not just biased because everything I've seen this writer come out with has been good. So I was going to say that the great thing about white dwarves um, is they're like the, the ideas that are printed in them are kind of evergreen, you know, like yeah. I'll still go back to old white dwarves and look at campaign ideas that they've had or battle ideas, um, narrative, uh, uh, narrative army concepts. There's a bunch of stuff that gets put out in White Dwarf that doesn't make it into the regular publications of Games Workshop that can really bring a lot of flavor to your hobby, to your army, to your game. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and on that point, the bunker uh, scenario for this month is actually a triumph and treachery battle plan. Yeah. <laughs> which is super fun. We don't get um, enough of those. And here's a little tip about what we may be talking about when we do the lore for the next um, the next Dawnbringers book. If you've been reading White Dwarf, um, there's a couple little lore tidbits that get full stories in White Dwarf. Mm-hmm. And there's nice. a couple of unanswered questions, say between book two and three, that get answered if you're reading White Dwarf. And this is the other thing is they're really coordinating super hard in a bunch of different things, um, which we'll talk about that again when we do the lore. 
but they're even talking about things that are happening in the Dawnbringer Crusades in the Lore Seekers episodes on Warhammer TV. Yep. So if you're not yep. caught up, you're going to get spoilers. <laughs> right? So um, if you don't want to get spoilers, maybe you should listen to the story phase where we talk about the Dawnbringer Crusade because they're throwing up left, right, and center, and they're coordinating all of the different media that they have yeah. to focus on this one moment. And man, is is that super fun for somebody who follows that? Be like, yeah. I, I, I picked up The White Dwarf specifically today to be like, I need to read it because I need to know what happened because I'm sure they're going to put another story in. And yep, they put another story in going, oh yeah, this little thing, actually, it's a big deal. Right. And, uh, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it. So I love I love what they're doing with lore uh, uh, lore masters on uh, Warhammer TV. Yeah, like uh, the Trug uh, uh-huh. episode. I you know I threw it on just because I wanted to know more about Trug. Uh-huh. It ends up being like a full expose on Trogoths in general. Yeah. Nice. You know, their whole background, where they come from, mm-hmm. different theories about how Trogs ended up in the mortal realms, um, you know, their their mental state and how they how they order their society. All that then leads into talking about Trog. And then that leads into probably Domboy, uh, Dombringer spoilers because... It's talking about what Trug's up to now in the mortal realms. Yeah. It's just yeah. such a they're they're really diving deep in these lore masters uh, episodes. Well, and there's also a really sweet article in this White Dwarf as well uh, that Phil Kelly wrote about the realm of fire. And if you haven't read Dawnbringers two, there's a pretty massive spoiler <laughs> in one of the settlements about. Oh, yep. by the way, you might want to uh, <laughs> know. Yeah. So, yeah, it 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 it's awesome that we're getting. Okay. You know, Phil Kelly is the head of the Lore Studio, so he was talking about this how long ago and working through all of these, you know, Dawnbringer books. One would assume. Yeah. And now he's discussing it like six months in advance with White Dwarf, and now we're getting content the day of, you know, from Warhammer TV and all this kind of stuff. So, like, it it it's awesome to have so many different sources from GW to really flesh out all these little ideas. And, you know, the thing is, it's almost like we're getting FAQs for lore. They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. hey, actually, we've decided that maybe you want to talk about this thing, right? If you want to talk about lore, uh, um, well, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Lore Masters? Lore Masters. Thank you. Yep. They could essentially go in with Lore Masters and be like, hey, this is actually what it means. Yep. Or yeah. clarify, actually, this is going to be slightly different than maybe we wrote in the book six months ago because this little thing might be happening down the road and we want to make sure that this fits in, right? You know? Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it's super sweet that we're getting all of these different sources of content to really just bring out this lore and help us to explore the the game that we really enjoy so right but and i just as a as a long time fan of warhammer um i i love that they're still as much as they flesh out 
all mm-hmm. the setting and all the details, they still leave questions. Oh yeah. For us as the hobbyists to fill in, you know, like yeah. they still leave parts of it. You know, maybe the 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 shapes aren't fully drawn in and and not colored in because you still get to do that on your own with your own narrative. The realms are big enough, the yeah. setting is big enough, um, and they leave enough. You know, throwaway lines of oh, they fought at the Battle of Three Hills or something like that. And you're like, oh, what's that? You know, like I can come up with my own story for, for the you know, um, um they just maybe, and sometimes they do answer those questions. Like they'll because uh-huh. you never know what piece of information is going to be answered later and what yep. isn't. Right, which is part of the fun. Like in the Cities of Sigmar um, battle tome, they list a bunch of settlements. This is kind of what Paul is talking about. And you're like, oh boy, these are a lot of cool settlements that exist in these different realms. I'm, you know, I wonder why they're mentioning all of these. And then one of them, something yeah. happens. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Comes into the story later. Yeah. And you're like, oh. So that's why they added that one. Do these other ones have the same thing? Yeah. And it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So I think that's like one of my favorite parts of like the way they've been doing the lore is like some of it is for you to fill out and some of it they're going to get to eventually and you just get to embrace the structured chaos that they have with their right. gray spaces. Of, right. Because um, now like there are folks are doing things like an example the storm scale covenant my dracothian stormcast they've been coming out with a lot of things that keep on going like that's valid like okay the thonia <laughs> book had some of those stormcasts get dragon scales from amber um bone mm-hmm. yeah they had the questers soul sworn who some are chosen not by sigmar but by dracothian mm-hmm. and it just keeps on happening so yep. it's not like a hundred percent like he's right. We do have Dragonborn Stormcast, but they're giving it more credence without giving an answer of what that looks like specifically. So I can still play in that space. Yeah, yeah of course. They're not saying you're right, but I'll tell you what, they are not saying you're wrong. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're, they're definitely not saying I'm wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the and the great thing too is all the lore like. For Warhammer, it's not the same as with other um, properties like Star Wars, where there's definite canon and then there's everything fan-made outside of it. In Warhammer, if it's been printed or mentioned, it's essentially canon. It doesn't all have to agree, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's okay because it's just a perspective on it, you know, and yeah. you can always explain it away as well. That's just what they thought, but here's what's going on in my army. Yep. Well, exactly. The unreliable narrator is legitimately like the best idea. It is for a massive universe full of massively different viewpoints, all attempting to explain how the world works. Right. Like, yep. And, and, you know, this is going a little bit off again, but when I read the Sons of Bayamot battle tome and I started reading about the mythology that Phil Kelly, I assume, and of course the writing studio wrote into 
what the sons of Behemoth think that the world is. And I went, oh, look at how much Greek mythology they threw into this. Awesome. Right? Like, because once you throw in, oh, actually, he was eaten by his father and then he threw him up and that's why he survives. You go, okay, so what else from Greek mythology can I throw in and justify (laughs) now? Right? Again, it's because of those empty spaces that they leave. You just have to, you know, put in 5% of something and you can fill in the 95. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dear listeners, our fire has at last burned down to embers and we must take to the path once more. If you'd like to leave us company on the road, Paul, where can they find you online? They can find me at PJ Shard. Harry. Where can they find you online? Um, the best place to find me is going to be in the Discord server. I usually hang out around the uh, Path to Glory um, channel on there. And you'll find me as Harry or Buddy C. Uh, the other place you can find me now, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but you can find me on Blue Sky and Threads under Toy Soldier Fun. And I'm well. Again, best place is going to be the moralrealms.com slash discord. Um, like Harry, I'm moving away from Twitter. I'm still there sometimes. So if you need to reach out to me there, feel free. Uh, but the best social media site is going to be at Sever on Blue Sky. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again real soon. Oh, I'm too